One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This podcast is dedicated to all those out there who have osteoarthritis. On the show, we unpack the truths and demystify the myths about the disease and its management. If you have joint pain and want to know more about how to manage it from the world's best experts, you've come to the right place. Without further ado, it is time to welcome your host, David Hunter. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Joint Action Podcast, where we have the opportunity to talk about pain from osteoarthritis in the front of the knee. Now, osteoarthritis can affect any joint within the body and within the knee itself, it consists of three compartments, what we call the medial tibiofemoral compartment on the inside of the knee, the lateral tibiofemoral compartment on the outside of the knee, and the patellofemoral compartment, which is the joint behind the kneecap or the patella. And that's going to be the focus of what we're talking about today. Now, when we talk about those three compartments, osteoarthritis can affect any of them, either in isolation or a combination of those three compartments. If you're someone who complains of pain coming from the front of the knee, particularly if it's going up and down stairs, getting up and down from a squatting position or a chair, this is probably likely very relevant for you. Now, although the majority of osteoarthritis research has focused on the joint between the tibia and the femur, that joint between the kneecap and the femur and osteoarthritis there is actually more prevalent and associated with both greater pain, but also greater disability. But on this week's episode of Joint Action, we're joined by Dr. Marianka van Middelkoop to discuss this problem of patellofemoral osteoarthritis or pain in the front of the knee, including its prevalence, its burden, diagnosis, and the treatments for that. Dr. Marianka van Middelkoop is a human movement scientist and an associate professor at the Department of General Practice at Erasmus Medical Center Medical University in Rotterdam, the Netherlands. She received her PhD in 2008 on the subject of running injuries 
at the Erasmus Medical University in Rotterdam, the Netherlands. She's currently the project leader of multiple PhD students and is a coordinator of the Osteoarthritis Trial Bank, which is an international successful ongoing project, including a data bank of more than 60,000 osteoarthritis patients. She's a deputy editor of the British Journal of Sports Medicine, and in 2010 was selected to participate in the Oxford International Care Research Leadership Program. Hello, Marienko, and welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to have you here. And it's something that a lot of our listeners have asked us about. And, you know, we've been very interested in pursuing it. And we couldn't think of anybody better to talk about this topic than you. But before we get into the main content of today, just in an effort to get to know you a little bit better, can you share with the listeners a little bit more about your background and what a typical day looks like? Yes, of course. I have a background in the human movement sciences. And yeah, during that study, I really got interested in clinical research. So after my master's degree, I applied for a job as a research assistant at the Department of General Practice, Erasmus MC, uh, Rotterdam, the Netherlands. And uh, because I really wanted to know if this kind of job would fit me as a person. And then I, under the supervision of uh, Professor Sita Birmas-Einstra, I could start really soon, could start my own PhD trajectory on running injuries. So a slightly different topic. But after my PhD, I got the opportunity to continue my work in, in research uh, related to sports injuries, but also other musculoskeletal disorders, all related to primary care and uh, general practice. And yeah, as OA is a, is a big problem also in primary care, I soon got involved in OA research as well. So now I currently supervise 12 PhD students and junior researchers. And yeah, these automatically fill my day. And moreover, I'm also now adjunct head of our research department. So there also comes in, there comes in some, some management activities as well. So yeah, a typical day is, is many meetings with my PhD students, with other researchers of our department or uh, worldwide. Uh, I'm involved in, in, in many projects, not only OA, but also still sports injuries. And in a time left, I try to, to initiate uh, some new uh, research projects and try to write some grants to initiate new and novel uh, projects. So yeah, literally, it's, it's much time chatting to people, meeting people, and uh, sitting behind my uh, desk and computer. If I have time, I always try to um, join our uh, daily lunch walk at our department. That's one of the important things as well during my day. That sounds brilliant. So it sounds like you practice what you preach. You get out every lunchtime and go for a walk. And that's presumably around Rotterdam somewhere, is it? Yes, yes. We have a really nice park and we have the river uh, close to our uh, Erasmus MC, our medical center. So we, uh, we often go for a minimum half an hour walk every day. Just out of interest, because I think that's absolutely fantastic. But is that something that you or someone else instigated? And is it broadly encouraged across the group? And what proportion of people get out? Yeah, well, I initiated it actually with one of my colleagues several years ago, and uh, more and people, more and more people started to join. And uh, I think, yeah, at least half of the group is joining daily. And it, of course, it depends a bit of of your meetings. And I try to schedule my meetings around it. But at twelve thirty, we uh, we go for a lunch walk. And just to see how committed you are, is that irrespective of the weather outside? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Only if it's really, really raining very hard, we don't go. But still, there are some people then going. Yeah, they put on a rain jacket and they go. 
That's superb. That's absolutely brilliant. Now, Marianka, when you're not doing your day job, what is it that you like to do? Yeah, I like to be physically active. Road cycling is one of my favorite things now in, in summer and springtime here in the Netherlands. Uh, in wintertime, it's uh, mountain biking. Uh, I love to do that. But also running. Uh, I play indoor uh, football as well with teammates. So uh, that's a lot of fun as well. Now, I'm probably going to say the wrong thing here, but if you don't ride a bike in the Netherlands, are you in the minority? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And when you say road cycling, is that competitive touring? What, what are you doing? No, it's, I'm not competitive in that. So it's, uh, it's touring. Yeah. So yeah. I, uh, on average, is 150 to 200 uh, kilometers a week, I think, now in summer season. Superb. Um, yeah, and we actually, I have uh, quite a lot of colleagues who do that as well. So we have a tour, Erasmus MC tour every year in summer. And uh, last year I did that with, uh, with a group of PhD students. So that was really nice. And anybody from the osteoarthritis group go out on those tours? Yes. Well, PhD students from the osteoarthritis group. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Superb. And just to get a sense of your um, mentality with the mountain biking, what sort of mountain biking are you doing here? Is this, uh, is this downhill or? No, it's more endurance. I, I go up as well <laughs> on own power. Okay. And sometimes with a little bit of uh, help, the elevators or the ski lifts. Okay. But no, I uh, prefer to do it all on my, uh, my own power. Fantastic. I wasn't going to judge you unfairly, but it does take a special person to be doing the, uh, the downhill goat track type stuff. Yes, absolutely. Now, if you had to describe yourself in five words, what would they be? I'm a positive person. I'm energetic. I'm also a bit stubborn, I think. Cheerful and caring as well, I think. Yeah, all absolutely superb qualities. Now, Marika, we're going to get into the topic of the day and very happy for this to go uh, where you want it to go as well, so that it's most informative for our listening community. But I guess in the first instance, can you just tell us, I guess, what is patellofemoral osteoarthritis? What is this problem that we're describing? And then we'll get into some other broad topics. It's osteoarthritis of the knee, and then particularly one of the joints of the knee. And it's, it's an often forgotten joint. If you look at the literature, a lot of research on knee OA has been done on the tibiofemoral joint. And this is about the joint between the, uh, the kneecap and the femur, so the patella and the femur. And uh, that's where OA occurs as well. Yeah, no, as you say, it's really important, but oftentimes forgotten in the discussions that we have about knee osteoarthritis. You mentioned, uh, obviously, that it's forgotten, but how, how common is patellofemoral osteoarthritis? There is some data about that. For example, in, in people that have knee pain, we see up to 40% that had radiographic confirmed patellofemoral OA, so osteoarthritis. And in the open population, there's a study that showed that it's around 25%. So that is all people, uh, 25% had some form of radiographic confirmed patellofemoral osteoarthritis. And Marianne, just to clarify a couple of those, because when you're talking about radiographic osteoarthritis, you're just referring to an x-ray diagnosis. And so that's 40% of people with knee pain above a certain age or in the general community? I thought this was above a certain age. I thought it was up above 50, if I'm correct. Okay. And then if you do a broad community-based study, about 25% 
of adults or 25% of the whole population? No, it's adults. Yeah, so adults. Okay. And just so I'm clear, but the way this is, I guess, characteristically defined in many of the community-based or epidemiologic studies is using the radiograph because our other tools for defining it are not as good or it's really hard yes it's really hard so so most of the studies and uh, when i read over literature again i was quite surprised to see this because it's actually all about radiographic oa so so features from x-rays indeed or, or imaging mri yeah and that has probably something to do with the difficulty of yeah, the clinical criteria that we currently have to yeah, to diagnose patellofemoral OA as a separate entity. Yeah, so let's let's get into that a little bit more. But for a person that has patellofemoral osteoarthritis, what do they complain of? What symptoms do they have? And particularly if you can distinguish that from common garden variety tibiofemoral osteoarthritis, if there is such a thing. Well, I think the typical one is people will say they have really pain around the patella, around the kneecap. And one of the activities that aggravates pain is, for example, uh, walking stairs. So that is a really typical one for patellofemoral osteoarthritis. And in the Netherlands, I would say uh, cycling with, uh, with headwind. That is one of those typical activities that will uh, provoke pain. But the difficulty is like tasks as stair walking, getting out of a car or uh, rising from bed, ascending stairs. These typical pain aggravating activities are common in patellofemoral pain patients, but you also see them in patients with knee OA. So that is also tibiofemoral OA. And that is the difficulty. There is such an overlap in symptoms between the OA and the patellofemoral joint, or maybe also combined OA. So you have OA in both joints or only OA in the patellofemoral joint. Yeah. So I guess the, the blunt description would be the activities you just described were activities that typically are involving some bending or or flexion of the knee itself so stairs hills on a bike presumably with the seat down as opposed to way up squatting getting up and down from a chair as distinct from maybe walking on flat ground or just standing still yeah where the kneecap may not be engaged against the femur but as you say probably not as specific as they could be in differentiating between tibiofemoral or patellofemoral osteoarthritis. But if you combine the description of pain in the front of the knee with one of those activities, does that improve the ability to differentiate patellofemoral from tibiofemoral? I think so, but I wish we really knew because, uh, yeah, I, I personally, I think so. Absolutely. I, I would apply these criteria, but unfortunately we haven't agreed on anything yet yeah, worldwide, I think, to diagnose this clinically. Yeah. So obviously, room for improvement. Absolutely. Absolutely. Presumably in your life as a researcher, it creates opportunity rather than opportunities for being disappointed about where we currently stand. Now, obviously, that's from the viewpoint of research um, and thinking about clinical characteristics that differentiate people with patellofemoral from tibiofemoral osteoarthritis. But if you were in your clinical practice or talking to clinicians about tools or methods that they can use, what do they commonly use to, to differentiate patellofemoral from tibiofemoral osteoarthritis? And are they the same as what we would use in a research context? 
I think it overlaps. And I think in secondary care, a lot will make an x-ray and base it on, on these findings. So not only the clinical criteria. I think, to be honest, in general practice, uh, a general practitioner won't distinguish often between these types of complaints. They will probably go for a knee osteoarthritis instead of a specific diagnosis and distinguish between these two, two, two joints. Uh, I know one of the things, and that is a sign that's crepitus, so the, the grinding noise, hearing grinding noise of the patella while you're squatting, that is one of the things that may be applied in, in clinical practice and that physios may also apply. We showed in our research that that is one a feature that is strongly associated with, with the presence of structural patellofemoral osteoarthritis and not with tibiofemoral arthritis. So that is a sign where I think we can sort of distinguish this population between patellofemoral and tibiofemoral osteoarthritis. Brilliant. Now, that's obviously from a clinical perspective, but for the patient population who are out there who may or may not have pain in the front of their knee and one or other of those features, why might they have developed this particular problem in, in the first instance? Why have they got problems in the front of their knee? could be related to different factors. One of the things that is often mentioned is uh, the alignment of the knee and then specifically the patellofemoral alignment. So much has been said about that. And one of my colleagues at Erasmus, Erin Macri, she did quite some research in that. And yeah, she found, for example, that these people sometimes have a shallower trochlea. Uh, so it's all had to, has to do with alignment of the femur and the patella and how the patella aligns to the femur. I think that is one of the factors why people might have this patellofemoral pain and patellofemoral osteoarthritis. Yeah, so just to expand on that one a little bit further. So what Marianka is describing there with the trochlea is the, the shape of the front of the femur that the kneecap articulates with. And usually it's a nice V or, or valley shape, but sometimes that shape can differ between different people. And likewise, the position of the kneecap with reference to the femur itself can also vary and it can be tilted or set off to the side. Yeah, yeah. so so that is one thing. And another thing is has been seen is that uh, a previous ACL injury, anterior cruciate ligament injury, so people who have had that often occurred during sport activities, they seem to be at really high risk to develop telephemoral osteoarthritis. I've read that about uh, percentages up to 80% of people who had an ACL injury had patellofemoral osteoarthritis uh, years after that. The mechanism is, is largely unknown, might have to do with modified biomechanics of the joint or that may lead to, to damage in the knee. And the menisci can also play a role in that. But that's, that's a bit unclear now, I think. But we do know that it, is, that it is a risk factor. What about local mechanics in the knee and particularly the role of muscle strength and also the, the extent of rotation of the femur? What, what, if any, role might they play? Well, reduced muscle strength really seems to play a role as a risk factor for the development of patellofemoral uh, osteoarthritis. And I think the, the interesting one in that one is that we see that also in young people with interior knee pain or um, patellofemoral pain, as it is also uh, called. And we see that in young people and adolescents already. And that type of pain is also associated with uh, reduced muscle strength, especially the quadriceps often. 
And yeah, we also know that this anterior knee pain before the age of 40 is also related with the presence of patellofemoral osteoarthritis. So that is a factor that is often mentioned as well. So that pain during adolescence or young adulthood to be a risk factor for the development of patellofemoral osteoarthritis. But unfortunately, we do not have studies that have followed such a population for a long time to show that it is associated with the development of osteoarthritis at a later age. What about the risk factors that might be common between osteoarthritis in the tibiofemoral joint and the patellofemoral joint and the role of age, gender, body weight in playing a role? I think there's largely overlap. Age is a risk factor. Higher BMI is also a risk factor, particularly for patellofemoral osteoarthritis, but also for tibiofemoral osteoarthritis. So, and that is also the tricky thing that a lot of these factors seem to overlap between these two joints within the knee. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful explanation. And I think a great overview of, of what is a very complex area, but I think an area that we still have a lot to learn about as well. For those people who are out there who are wondering, you know, what's my prognosis and what can I do about this? What's the general outlook and what would you advise them with regards to treatment options? I think the most important thing still is exercise. So exercise therapy, I would place that in a in, in number one, even though we do not really have clear evidence because there's just not much out there on specific treatments for patellofemoral pain. But we know, do know that exercise and strengthening of these muscles is, is really uh, a good thing to do for patients. And there are some specific treatments available, and that is more with regard to bracing and taping. So there have been some studies on bracing and one study on taping, and these do seem to reduce pain. They can support the knee and they can sometimes help to align the patella a bit better to the femur with these braces. So they have shown some positive results. So sometimes pe people with patellofemoral osteoarthritis are giving a brace in addition to, for example, exercise therapy. And Marianka, just to understand exactly what you mean when you say exercise therapy, what are you referring to and which muscle groups are you strengthening and when you say exercise are you you're not just referring to strengthening or are you also referring to advocating for people being physically active besides being physically active i would also always advise that but i think it would be good to go for specific uh, strengthening of the uh, upper leg muscles and muscles around the knee and then especially the quadriceps muscles seem to be really important so, uh, yeah, I would suggest that it involves these typical exercises. And there are also some exercises that can be easily done at home. So um, maybe with a few sessions at a physiotherapist, you can already train at home and do a lot with really easy things. Yeah. Now, I mean, obviously, there's been research into this in the past, but clinicians frequently will use a combination of uh, different interventions that might include strengthening of the thigh and hip muscles, as you mentioned taping potentially advice around their shoes and weight reduction. What, if any, evidence is there to support that approach that has come from uh, randomized trials? Actually, there's none to my knowledge <laughs> to support this. But I think it is, uh, yeah, it's mostly based on what we know from the tibiofemoral joint. And based on that, I think we know that indeed, yeah, what you mentioned as well. So the lifestyle, the weight reduction, if needed, these are things that are always 
good for, for NeoA. So that will also involve the patellofemoral joint. But yeah, there's very little evidence available specifically for the patellofemoral joint. So also on specific pharmaceutical or nutraceutical techniques, there's no evidence there. We'll provide a link to a wonderful article that uh, Marianka was the first author on that came out a couple of years ago, which was really looking at consensus recommendations around this area. But I think the other really important element that it highlighted, Marianka, was the evidence and knowledge gaps that we currently have with regards to hopefully opportunities for research agenda. Again, without necessarily putting you on the spot, but are there any elements of that that you'd really like to highlight that you think are really important that we should be tackling sooner rather than later? Well, I think one of the most important thing is to be able to clinically diagnose these, this group and to distinguish them from the tibiofemoral osteoarthritis. And that is, uh, yeah, the, the nice thing is that I think before I got the invite for this podcast, I, I think a week before that, I spoke to Natalie Collins, Australian uh, colleague, and uh, we discussed it as he said, oh, we should really do this. So I uh, spoke to one of my colleagues in the Erasmus MC as well, and yeah, we're now sort of thinking about how to do this, uh, maybe with a, a group of experts worldwide. But I think it is good to start this discussion. And it is one of the things we need to be able to further continue research in this, uh, this area. Really important. So I'd really strongly encourage you and push you in that direction. So as, um, as best you can, I think it's a, it's a fantastic idea. Now, Marianka, anything else that you want to say about that topic and or any resources that you want to point people towards, obviously we'll include the link to the seminars in arthritis and rheumatism article, but any, anything else that you want to point people towards? No, not yet. We're working on it. So I hope we get some nice papers out in the upcoming year that specifically uh, targeted the alignment and the association between early uh, knee pain during adolescence and later knee OA. But yeah, hopefully that will come out uh, next year. Fantastic. We look forward to that. Obviously, enhancing knowledge is so, so important and really want to encourage you to continue to pursue that. Now, Marenka, we're just going to get into what we call the rapid fire round. So I'm going to throw a question at you and you just come back with a quick response. And I'll try not to be too judgmental on this end, but favorite book? The Eighth Life. Eighth Life. Yeah, it's called Brilke. Yeah, it's a book from a German uh, writer, uh, originally from Georgia. Superb. Really nice. Wonderful. Favorite movie? It's a fucking Amal. It's a Swedish film. Okay. Dog or a cat person? None of both. None of both. Wow. Favorite quote? As long as it's fun. Good motto. What's your favorite food? I think it's uh, everything related to uh, Yotam Ottolenghi, an Israeli cook, written many books. Yeah. No, wonderful. Do you have a bad habit? Yeah. I, I tend to know things better than other people. <laughs> great that you have the insight to know that you do that but where would you next like to go on holiday on top of my list is Kyrgyzstan Kyrgyzstan yes yeah what's driving you over there why do you want to go there uh, the mountains and the culture but especially the mountains okay oh, well I hope you get there soon what superpower would you have if you could have one I'd love to speak all languages of the world be, be a great way to get to know everybody, wouldn't it? Now, if you could meet anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Yeah, um, I had to think uh, a while about that. And then I wrote down uh, Dave, David Beckham. <laughs> One of, uh, I really was a fan of him. So, uh, yeah. 
And this was back in the days when he was playing in the Premier League or when he went to the US? Yes, Premier League. No, Premier League. Man United. Are you a Man United fan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we won't talk about this season too much then. We'll just we'll just move straight along. <laughs> and what would you do if money were not an issue? I would make sure that uh, all refugees in the world would have some safe place to live. Really important and obviously critically important at the moment with what's going on in the Ukraine in particular, but obviously other parts of the world as well. Absolutely. Now, Marianka, if you could do anything to improve health and healthcare, what would you do? Yeah, I think I would invest more in prevention and implementation of prevention. I think that is uh, yeah, often underestimated by policymakers. And uh, I think it, it is so important. And it's also one of the things we, we've seen last years by the COVID pandemic. For example, physical activity is so important and lifestyle is so important. And uh, yeah, I would invest way more to implement these measures of prevention. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, I think from a policymaker perspective, when you look at the advantages inherent to the community and promoting, you know, good lifestyles, good positive physical activity messaging, appropriate messaging around food and, and diet, um, and the investment you can make there compared to just reacting to disease like osteoarthritis and replacing all of the joints that are out there, it doesn't make a lot of intuitive sense the way we currently stand. No, but it's all short-term thinking of uh, they're there for four years and then there are new elections and uh, yeah, no, the next one can do it again. Exactly. Now, Marenka, how do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of things within your role? Yeah, that is an interesting one. I think I learn most from the people I work with. And yeah, I try to collaborate and work with people as, as much as possible. But maybe I learn most of my critical PhD students who I daily work with. Yeah, they keep me sharp, they trigger me, ask a lot of questions, and they cover a large range of different topics. So I really have to keep up with literature, but also new techniques. They come up with new methods. So I think I learn most by working with them. It's great having the ability to interface with those tremendously bright and inquisitive minds, isn't it? Now, are there any patient-friendly resources that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I think there's there's one interesting uh, initiative that we started uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, I think it's almost two years ago. It is uh, Arthrose Gezond, so Healthy Osteoarthritis. And it's a platform specifically aimed at Dutch osteoarthritis patients. So what we do there is try to connect research with patients in the Netherlands. So we interact with them. We show them what kind of research is ongoing at our university. They can show their interest in research, but they also can think along with research. Uh, so we invite them for patient panels to think with us on different topics, but also new initiatives, new uh, projects, but also how to implement results of these projects. And uh, we are now, because we started just before the COVID pandemic, so most of the activities was, were online, but we're now planning in the autumn, like probably September, October this year, we will plan our first physical meeting with, uh, it's called Osteoarthritis Cafe, where people with osteoarthritis will have the ability to meet researchers in real person and chat with them, interact with them. Yeah, I think that is a great initiative and uh, yeah, hundreds of people are already connected to this platform and um, 
Yeah, so for all Dutch OA patients, I think that is an interesting website to go to. It's a great idea. Is that something that you set up there at Rotterdam or did you do it with Room in the Netherlands? Is it, is it nationwide? Uh, we started it in Rotterdam and uh, now uh, Room in Nederland is also involved in that. So we started small, really, uh, for Rotterdam, but we are now already going through uh, to the rest of the Netherlands as well. But activities will be organized in Rotterdam. So, um, yeah, it, it has a bit of a focus on the, on the large region of Rotterdam. No, it's a, it's a fantastic idea and hopefully really helps to emphasize the critical role that people with osteoarthritis, with that lived experience, what other people might call consumers, can play in both, I guess, directing the research that we do, but also playing a much more pivotal role in what we continue to do. So, you know, kudos for you for setting that up. Now, why do you do what you do? What motivates you? That's a good one. Yeah, I always had a, an interest in, in health and, and healthcare. And uh, during my master's, I, I noticed that I really enjoyed doing research. But I think my, my main motivation to do what I, I do now is that, yeah, I love to solve puzzles. And I'm always sort of curious how things work and why they work. And why do we do things in healthcare as we do them? And, and what is the evidence behind it? And uh, how can we improve things? I think that that is the, the big driver aside from yeah really getting happy of phd students that learn things and that come in and and as students and they go as uh, as really adult researchers it's a great mindset to have and you look like you really enjoy uh, what you do and presumably coming to work every day is a joy and you know not everybody necessarily feels that way so you know congratulations yeah, absolutely. Now, Marianka, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? I thought now, thinking at this moment, I would uh, I would put something on it to acknowledge the importance of participation in research for patients with osteoarthritis to use it. And uh, so perhaps a shout out for an ongoing project now uh, where we investigate a lifestyle intervention for uh, people with, uh, with early NEOA symptoms. So we need some people uh, for that project. But I think it's, yeah, for people, it's, it's often sort of, okay, research is something far from, from me and especially in people in primary care, like in Erasmus MC at Territory Hospital, it's more common that people participate in research or patients participate in research. But from a primary care perspective, that sometimes yeah, can be complicated. So yeah, I could use a billboard for that. Yeah, good. Well, I'm sure it's a great way to reach out there. And we're always in desperate need of uh, participants for the, for the work that we do. Now, in closing, is there one piece of advice, knowledge or wisdom that you'd like to give for people who have osteoarthritis? Yeah, it's really sure to keep, keep on moving. Physical activity is, is so important. Try to keep active. That's a great way to finish. And Marianka, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us and sharing the wonderful insights that you have. And really, you know, kudos and congratulations to you for the wonderful work that you're doing. And I hope you continue to push those boundaries forward and do so in the bright and cheerful way that you carry yourself with. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. So hopefully for all of you who are out there who have pain in the front of the knee, 
with your osteoarthritis and particularly if it's getting worse with flexion activities like stairs or squatting or getting up and down from a chair you found the content of today helpful and relevant this is an incredibly common problem for people that have osteoarthritis of the knee to have pain emanating from that particular part of the knee associated with the activities that we've spoken about. There's still a lot that we need to learn, both about defining this population, but also helping us to distinguish both in a research and a clinical context from those that have osteoarthritis in the tibiofemoral joint. As Marienka mentioned, the risk factors for osteoarthritis behind the kneecap are subtly different in some ways from that from the rest of the knee joint, but there's still an incredible amount of overlap. But if you have problems with strength in the quadriceps, problems with rotation of the thigh or femur bone inwards, if you have problems with the alignment of the kneecap and or you've had a previous injury to your anterior cruciate ligament, it does place you at greater risk, along with the regular risk factors that we talk about for osteoarthritis, such as older age, being female, and having a higher body weight. There is still a lot that can be done. And despite the lack of good randomized control trial evidence, there is good suggestions that working on both thigh and hip muscle strength, and potentially the role of taping or bracing can play really important roles for people that have pain in the front of the kneecap. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Joint Action Podcast. Really appreciate your support. Look forward to continued interactions, your questions if you have them, your suggestions about upcoming episodes. But between now and when I next speak with you, please do take care of yourselves. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, visit www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.